Federal regulators are considering potential updates to the HIPAA rules. What's being considered? I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with privacy attorney Kirk Nara of the law firm Wiley Ryan, who will be discussing potentially what's next for HIPAA. So, Kirk, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a request for information about potentially updating the HIPAA rules. HHS is seeking input about how HIPAA might be updated to mitigate potential barriers that limit data sharing and specifically discourages coordinated care and case management among hospitals, physicians, payers, and patients, etc. With that said, what sorts of changes do you think are being considered and why? Well, we've got some information from HHS about what they're thinking about, and this is something that they've been looking at for a couple of years, certainly. Um, What we have right now is a list of topics that are likely to be included, but we don't have a lot of substance on them. Some of these things on the list are actually holdovers that go back to the high-tech law in 2009, (laughs) so it's it's a little funny. Then we've got some other topics that are sort of newer ideas that are coming out of the current OCR leadership. So maybe let's break those into two pieces. The old things include the HIPAA counting rule, where Congress mandated some changes to the HIPAA counting rule in 2009. HHS came out with a proposed rule in, I think, 2011 that I think it's fair to say pretty much everybody hated. That's been sitting there since 2011. They've now abandoned that rule, and they're going to start over to try to figure out and make sense of the HIPAA counting rule. There is also some discussion about the minimum necessary rule that we're seeing, again, a holdover from high tech and a long long-awaited, without much attention being paid to it, provision about patients getting a share of certain penalties for HIPAA. So those are old things. New things is this concern about coordinated care and barriers to coordinated care. And this is something that seems to be driven by a broader concern that isn't unique to HIPAA about the opioid crisis and this idea that somehow healthcare providers are prevented from sharing information about certain kinds of treatment in certain coordinated care settings. So that's going to be the really interesting one. It's not clear to me whether that's an issue of changing the rules or it's an issue of sort of encouraging providers to do things that they're actually already able to do under the HIPAA rules. My take is I sort of lean towards the providers are nervous rather than providers think they're not allowed, but we'll see what they want to propose on that. So now, Kirk, two large healthcare associations have also been calling for Congress to make changes to the HIPAA rules in terms of who's covered, what kind of organizations, what kind of companies might be covered, such as companies that aren't covered right now, like mobile health apps, social media apps, saying that, you know, these technology companies should be part of what's covered under HIPAA in terms of having to comply. What do you think about those proposals and what are the chances that the feds or the Congress would agree to extending the rules that way? So those proposals come out of the fact that, A, the HIPAA statute, which leads to the HIPAA rules, was a limited purpose statute in the sense that it defined who was covered by the HIPAA privacy and security rules 
based on things that didn't really have anything to do with privacy and security. The, the scope of those rules was defined by HIPAA portability and HIPAA standard transactions. And so we've always known going back to you know, 1996 and the original privacy rule that went into effect in 2003, we've always known that the HIPAA privacy rule didn't cover all healthcare information. It only covered healthcare information if a covered entity was involved. At the time the, the rules went into effect, we just weren't that concerned about it because there weren't that many places gathering healthcare information that weren't covered entities. Now what we've seen in the last decade is an explosion in entities, businesses, et cetera, who collect healthcare information, but who aren't covered by the HIPAA rules. And so the proposals you're mentioning sort of are designed to tackle that issue that we have all kinds of healthcare information being gathered by wearables and mobile apps and social media and et cetera that aren't subject to the HIPAA privacy rule. Well, you certainly can't change the HIPAA rules to cover those kinds of entities. HHS doesn't have the authority to do that. That's why the privacy rule is as limited as it is. Congress could change the scope of the HIPAA statute, but I don't think that's the way to address these issues because the HIPAA privacy rule and the HIPAA security rule are driven by what healthcare businesses do. And for example, the privacy rule focuses on the idea of treatment, payment, healthcare operations as the core of what's allowed under that rule. Those concepts don't really make sense for some of these other businesses that collect health information. So while you could change the scope, I don't think that works very well. I think what you have to think about is whether there's a way to regulate these other kinds of businesses that collect healthcare information that could take a specific new law, you know, that could create a new law that was focused on non-HIPAA healthcare information. It could be a new law that would say we're going to scrap HIPAA and start over and have a general health information law. We could also have a movement towards a general privacy law, which is being pushed from other directions. The reason you might see that push in the healthcare field is that we are seeing more and more with things like real world evidence and social determinants of health and other things that lots of information that hasn't traditionally been thought of as healthcare information, your income, your marital status, your educational status, your voting records, those pieces of information are actually very relevant in the healthcare context. And so if your voting record and your marital status is useful for healthcare, it's really hard to define healthcare information anymore. So all of those are options, but I don't think it's just as simple as changing the HIPAA statute or the HIPAA rules. So Kirk, there are a lot of potential things that could happen or things that are being considered perhaps. Of those things, which ones or which one do you think would have the biggest impact on healthcare entities, especially when it comes to the chief privacy officers and the CISOs and them having to potentially comply? It's not actually clear to me that any of these proposals are going to make all that much difference. The HIPAA accounting rule, which is uh, you know an individual right that's been available under the HIPAA privacy rule since the beginning, but very few patients have used it. The HHS proposal that has now been abandoned, I think personally, and I'm not alone in this, but this is a personal opinion, I think would have been a disaster for the healthcare industry without really providing any benefits to patients. So it's possible that a new accounting proposal 
would still be really bad and really hard to comply with. I don't really expect that, although at the same time, I'm not sure where they're going to go with this provision because the statutory mandate was actually pretty complicated. So that's a bit of a wild card. I expect it will certainly be much more limited than the draft rule that's now been abandoned, but that's one I'd be concerned about. A couple of the other ideas are designed to lessen compliance obligations. For example, one of the things that they seem interested in doing is removing the obligation for patients to acknowledge receipt of a privacy notice. That's a little tweak. I don't think that's a big deal particularly to comply with, but that would make things easier for healthcare providers to uh, comply with. They're also trying to essentially give providers more leeway to disclose information whether it's tied to coordinated care or one of the other topics that they seem to be looking at is, and this is from the, from the website itself, it says creation of a safe harbor for good faith disclosures of PHI for purposes of care coordination or care management. Again, that's an expansion of what providers can do. So I don't know that that's necessary. They can create a safe harbor by simply not penalizing people, which is what they've done historically. But I don't know that any of these are going to increase compliance obligations on providers. They seem designed to go the other direction, and I think the question is going to be whether there will be lessened compliance obligations that will harm privacy interests. I'm not sure there will be, but that sort of thing we'll be watching rather than the question of whether there will be too many new obligations imposed on covered entities. And Kirk, going back to the accounting of disclosures rule that has been sort of on the shelf for a while, do you think they're going to go back and actually start a rule over again, or are they going to sort of ignore that this thing didn't go anywhere? What they seem to have done is they have pulled from the record the original proposal. And so what I think they're going to do, and that's one of the reasons why this is an RFI, a request for information, rather than a proposed rule, is they don't really know what to do. And so this is a preliminary step. No matter what they do next, what they're going to do is seek information from relevant stakeholders about what they should do in the list of areas that they have identified. We could be two years away from having an actual proposed rule that will then go through notice and comment itself. So it is very difficult to look at this and say, oh, anything's going to happen anytime soon. I'll be really surprised if we see a proposed rule on any of these points until late, late 2019 at the earliest and probably not into until it's 2020. And then you have to go through notice and comment, et cetera. And if you look at limited history, this hasn't happened that many times, but it often takes OCR years to go from comment to final rule. So this is all stuff that's going to be long term if it comes to fruition at all. So, Kirk, what about the HIPAA security rule? Any signs that that rule might be considered for a facelift anytime soon? For instance, how well do you think the security rule holds up under today's cyber circumstances? Is it too vague? So that's two very different questions. First is, how good is the security rule today, and is there likely to be any change? Those are very different. There is no indication from HHS at this point that they are thinking about changing the security rule. So I don't think there's going to be change. 
With that said, I also am of the view, although this is one where, as I said, this will be a personal opinion, but this is not necessarily one that everybody shares. I think the security rule very much keeps pace with modern times because it was written to change as technology changes. It requires companies to essentially on a regular and routine basis go through an ongoing risk assessment of security risks that they face. And so what you need to do to evaluate your risks in 2018 is different than what you needed to do in 2012 or 2005. So I think the rule was intentionally written and I think pretty well written to force companies to keep up with technological changes. I don't think you need to rewrite the rule because technology has changed. They wrote the rule to incorporate those changes on an ongoing basis. So. I think the challenge for companies is to, in fact, do what the security rule tells them to do, which is make sure that they are staying on top of ongoing risks and changes both in the risk profile of technology and in their own business's risk profile. That is a challenge and remains a challenge, but I don't think there's any need to make the rule either tougher or more specific because I think it already builds in the right kinds of both flexibility for companies to operate in different ways, but also make sure that those companies are keeping pace as their own risk environment changes. And finally, Kirk, any predictions in terms of what we'll see with HIPAA enforcement activities in 2019? Well, it's interesting. We've had a couple of slow years on HIPAA enforcement with a slight upturn in the last six weeks or so. My guess is we will continue to have a little bit of an increase from the downturn that we saw in 2017 and early 2018, probably just back to where we were in 2016 or so. You know, they don't have a lot of resources. They don't have as much staff. The RFI, if it happens, will take some attention away from enforcement. Perhaps there are other initiatives coming out of the Office for Civil Rights that have nothing to do with healthcare privacy that also are taking attention of the leadership. And so I don't expect to see a lot of significant change. But at the same time, one of the things that's been happening sort of in the broader environment is that there are more and more people outside of OCR that are paying attention to these kinds of issues. For example, there was a really interesting case where I think it was 13 different attorneys general of, of the states filed a coordinated HIPAA enforcement action against an entity. The first time that there's been sort of a coordinated activity by various state attorneys general. So I think that we'll see a little bit of increase from HHS, but I think we're also going to see an increase in other enforcement channels, both for companies that are covered by HIPAA and for some of those companies that are gathering and using healthcare information, but that aren't subject to HIPAA. So companies that are thinking about this space Again, they don't need to overreact to the enforcement possibility, but I don't think you only look at OCR, and I think you really need to think about the broader perspective on where enforcement can be coming from and where other public challenges, whether it's media or plaintiff's lawsuits or legislative hearings, things like that, into various practices. I think companies really have to focus on the broader array of potential challenges to their activity. Thanks, Kirk. I've been speaking to Kirk Nara. I'm Marianne Kolbezak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.